We've started the whole year out, and we're getting closer and closer to the end of it, on what Jesus said. We've been going through his teaching through the Gospels, and you can find his teaching elsewhere in the Bible as well. We believe he's God, and so anything God said, Jesus said. But really, we've been after this, and we just got done looking at the fact that he will separate. Like he says, there's sheep and goats. There's those who are his and those who are not. They're following Jesus. They're following him forever. They're not following him. They won't be with him forever. That was a really nice shot, by the way. I saw that. That was, that was pretty impressive. Sorry. Come live. You see all kinds of things. <laughs> but what really has been standing out to me is that Jesus is the blessing. Jesus is the reward. Jesus is the hope. Jesus is life. Jesus is the gospel. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We don't get paid more by saying his name more, but there's so much joy, there's so much life. Indeed, Yeshua means he saves, and he does. And so what he says goes for us as Christians. And some of you are sitting there, and you're like, yeah, I'm not quite there yet. So glad you're here, by the way. That's amazing. But here's what's up. We're going to talk about something over the next few weeks that is one of, well, next couple of months. It's one of the greatest challenges in our world, and it's happiness. You know that, right? How about this? God put this on my heart, so I'll share it with you. I just want to be happy. Everyone has said this, heard this, or thought this, probably all three this week. If not, then you've definitely in the last month. In the Bible, the word for happy, fortunate, and blessed are the same. In the Old Testament, it was Asher. In the New Testament, it's Makarios in the Greek. And Jesus starts his greatest recorded messages, his teaching. It's called the Sermon on the Mount with this word, blessed, happy, He describes what a blessed, happy, content, fulfilled, it'll go well with your soul kind of life looks like for his kingdom people. And so will you join me in Matthew 5, verses 1 and 2. As you're turning to that, as you're thinking through just even that word, can I ask you, what does it mean to you to be blessed by God? What does it mean to be blessed? We're just going to throw it out. A little give and take opportunity here. To wake up every morning to feel his presence. Spiritually happy. Good. Finding favor with him. What's that? Knowing I am loved. Clarity. being given what you don't deserve. That's grace, that's kindness, that's blessing for sure. There's this older man, and uh, gosh, I think his last name is Woost. He's passed away a long time ago, but he translated the entire New Testament in our language, right, in the way we would understand it. It was a bit of a paraphrase. It was a lot of a paraphrase. And he said... Blessed is to be spiritually prosperous. 
I think we get it in this world. If we were just to actually slow down for a second and we see somebody, I don't know, you could pick out somebody who's just loaded with cash. Somebody that's just super great looking. Somebody who has all the skill set in the world in their brain. Somebody that can actually read something once and have it basically memorized, a photographic memory. We would look at those people and go, they're blessed. But what Jesus says is blessed, what he says is happy, what he says is spiritually prosperous, what he says is fortunate, what he says is content, what he says goes. And so here we go. Matthew 5, 1 through 2. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Two different groups of people right here. Some were the same. There was some overlap, but do you know what the the two groups were, really quick, from what we read? Nice. (laughs) Carol. (laughs) And I like you. Nice job. All right. So sheeps and goats, sure. What else? What are the two groups that we see right here in the text? Crowds and the disciples. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, and then we'll get to that over the next few weeks. I could not get away from the multiple expressions of this idea of him opening his mouth in speaking words. Join me really quick, if you will, all the way back in Deuteronomy. Wait, this isn't what Jesus said. That's okay. That's okay. Because he did quote it, actually, in Matthew 4.4. 4. But Deuteronomy 8.3. Moses is speaking to God's people, and he says, He humbled you and let you hunger, and he fed you with manna, you know what manna is, is food that came from heaven, and it was like frost on the ground, and when everything dried up, there was these little wafers. I like to think just like the one we just ate, but I mean, <laughs> whatever that might be, that's what it was, and they literally didn't know what it was, so they what is it? And that's what manna or mana means, like, what is this? And like, he fed them from heaven. First of all, he humbled them. There's only a couple of times in the whole entire Bible where it says he humbles us. The rest of them are like, you get to choose humility. Like, clothe yourself in humility is what it says in Colossians, for example. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. I mean, it's coming whether you like it or not. Humility is there. But in this particular passage, he humbles you, lets you hunger, He's talking about the Jewish people, the Jewish nation. And he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. What Jesus said is a big deal to us because it's food for our souls. And what he was saying was really important. But he had two people. Two groups of people there, crowd or disciple. I'm going to ask you in the the discussion questions to kind of try and figure out who you are in that. 
There's people who are interested in him, people who are drawn to him. As a matter of fact, he really was excited about the fact that people that wanted him and were following him, but some were following him for all kinds of reasons. And maybe you're in that spot right now. And what's the difference between a crowd and a disciple? I'd like to unpack that for you super quickly before we get to what Jesus said. First off, what is blessed? What's the difference between a crowd and a disciple? We'll go to one of the hardest teachings that Jesus ever laid out for mankind. Let's go to John 6. We've talked about this a whole lot. And I've like got in my head where, gosh, man, don't you have anything else to talk about? Well, in the course of a year of talking about what Jesus taught, we're going to repeat it a little bit. And I think it's really, really important that you understand that I think repetition is a really critical way of learning. We have learned all kinds of things through repetition. We've said all kinds of things in our head that we've repeated over and over again that are either true or not. But we believe them because we say them over and over again. So even saying the name Jesus or what he's teaching is like a big deal to me because I know that we need that because we hear all kinds of other things. All this stuff that's happening right now in Israel is just daunting and crazy as it is. People are like, is this the end of the world? Maybe. But Jesus said there would be days like this. This is a wake-up call for all of us. Yeah, but what about the date? I don't know the date, and neither do you. Jesus said the Son of Man didn't know when that was, and we're like, yeah, but I can figure it out. You think awfully highly of yourself. If Jesus, who I believe as God knows, but as man, he was humbled and didn't understand all of that or at least didn't proclaim all of that. I have no problem admitting that I don't know everything. I'm married. And I'm a human on top of that. It happens to be male, which just is clueless after clueless after clueless. Sometimes, not always. But Jesus had all kinds of things. I want to ask you to consider something. He teaches, and people either like it and follow it, or don't like it and don't for various reasons. I wrote down a few. Some of us don't like what he says because it's hard. The way is hard. It's not all that confusing. It's just difficult. What do you mean be kind to people? Do you see them cut me off? What do you mean forgive as I've been forgiven? What do you mean there's only one way? We're either upset about what he teaches because it's hard or it's confusing. Like, cut off my hand? That's weird. Do you think Jesus really means that? Or we just don't like it because it doesn't make us happy. It doesn't make us feel good. We would even go so far as to say, if I was God, I wouldn't do that. You're not. I'm not. There was a lady in a church who was like, oh, gosh, I just wasn't feeling that worship. And the pastor said, good, we weren't worshiping you. (laughs) And we don't like that sometimes. Let me give you just a quick example, and it's got 
a bit of passage here, but Jesus has just fed the 5,000 with a sack lunch. There's a bunch of people there hearing his teaching, and they needed food, and Jesus says, feed them, and they're like, we don't even have anything. And even if we were to get out town and, and buy food and bring it back, they'd all get a bite. Maybe. Well, what do you have? Well, we have the sack lunch that this kid had, but what good's that? And he sets them all down and feeds all of them, and there's 12 basketfuls, baskets full of leftovers for the naysayers, his 12 followers, his 12 disciples. This is really amazing. And then he walks on the water. He sends them out, goes up on a mountain to pray, and then they're out at about 3 in the morning, and Jesus goes for a stroll on the lake. And they freak out because they're like, it's a ghost. And he's like, nope, it's me. Take courage. I am. And all that's happening. The next day, people are trying to find him. And in John 6, 25, we pick up this. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me. Not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. And they're like, oh, well, what must we do to do these works? Because that's what the food is. So what are we supposed to do? And they have this conversation, and we're going to pick it up. In verse 43, they go kind of back and forth. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I've come down. We've talked about that a lot. That's why I'm skipping over that a bit. But he's like, you know what? I'm it. I'm life. And in verse 43 of John 6, Jesus answered them, don't grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. And they're like, wait, you're just a carpenter's son. What do you mean you raise us up? What do you mean you're the bread of life? What do you mean? This is confusing. And he says, well, your fathers ate the manna that we talked about earlier, the bread of life, that came from heaven, not from Moses. And so I am the bread of life. Verse 51, he says it like this. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he'll live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. What? They're like, eh, that's gross. We're not cannibals. And so Jesus explains it multiple times. But in John 6... 60 through the end of this chapter, 71, he says like this. When many of the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who, would didn't, who did not believe. 
and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted to him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed, and we've come to know. Gosh, you guys, believing and knowing. Woo, those are two different things, but really important to go together. Don't have a lot of time to unpack that, but if you believe something and you know it, you're going to actually live it out. You're going to do something about it. But we've believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. The difference between crowd and a disciple. Crowd's interested. Crowd will even follow for a little bit. A disciple will take what Jesus says and live it out. And some of the disciples turned away because of what? What do you guys, why did they take off? It was hard. He's teaching weird stuff. And yet, if he actually came to fulfill all the law, he wouldn't teach them cannibalism. He wouldn't teach them blood drinking because that was a big no-no in their culture. But he is saying, look, I am your sacrifice. you got to take me in. Don't just be interested in me. Don't just get a Jesus is my homeboy shirt. So which one are you? You're part of the crowd. You're interested. You think it's cool. You'll hug his neck when he's giving you what you want. I was talking to my new friend Martha, and I was talking about North Shore, which is the church where Kathy and I first met Jesus, fell in love with him. It's actually our anniversary of being baptized next Saturday. Lots of years, because we're getting there. But a man said to me one time, I was out of work for about a month, and we were really hoping to have more children. We had one at that time. She was born when we were 14 and 15. I haven't always been following Jesus. But I'm like, i got to feed my family. I I don't understand this. We're hoping to have another baby. Like, where's God at? And this man said, you know what? I think you want God for what he can give you more than who he is. And I was like, what? And he goes, yeah. He goes, he'll do these signs and all that, and it's wonderful. And he wants them to draw you to him, but it's him, not just what he does. The crowd likes what he does often. The disciple is going to follow him for who he is. Which one are you? So back to what he was teaching in Matthew 5. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed, makarios, asher, contentment, fortune, spiritually prosperous, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
We've talked a ton about this. I've even taught on this a little bit this year already. Is it worth repeating? Yes. But poor in spirit, what does this even mean? This is like if you don't have much, then God's like, oh, you're my guy. You're my sweet little girl because you're poor. You're so poor you can't afford an R. I love you. In Luke, it says the poor, and so people have thought for years, oh, you have to be poverty-stricken to be able to be a kingdom person. It's a lot of rich people. Jesus said it was hard for a rich guy to be saved because he relies on his stuff, but there's a ton of rich people in the Bible who are really, really in love with the Lord and live forever. Because of their faith. This poor in spirit can be summarized in a bunch of different words, but the word humility, being humble, recognizing that you don't have it on your own to be saved. You don't have it on your own for God to look at you and go, yeah, that's my guy. Look at that beard. I would say look at that hair, but I don't want to bring attention to that. Or look at their money. Or look at how much they can quote the Bible. Look at how amazing they are at attending everything and giving. They give way more than 10%. I owe them one. That's not poor in spirit. That's feeling real good about you. That's putting it all together and saying, God, we're good now? We're on the same page, right? I, I did what I was supposed to do. I said no to myself. I did all these things. Salvation is a gift offered through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for your sin debt. You know what you did to earn that? That's right. You ran up the debt. I know this is something I repeat often. I have more to talk about. Haggai goes deeper, and it's somebody else teaching, so you can check that out. But before you and I can receive that gift of salvation, we've got to recognize we need it. We've got to recognize that what we brought to the table was a need to be saved, not an ability to earn it. You can't make yourselves worthy of it, and this is what it means to be poor in spirit. You know you need Jesus, and you want him. But how in the world? I mean, so Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How does the kingdom of heaven, which we've understood even in the last four weeks, that's salvation, but it's also eternal life that begins here. Right relationship with God, communion, fellowship. Being on the right page because Jesus put us there and then we actually live it out. He doesn't say, for theirs will be the kingdom of heaven, shall be, which we'll be looking at a number of those words. He says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is a saved life. The poor in spirit recognize they need Jesus and they want him. And they follow him. And it's a struggle I don't know if you caught this in this whole John 6 thing, but a ton of his disciples walked away. The 12 stayed there, 
And Peter's like, where else can we go? That's almost a borderline. I mean, we've thought about it. We, we were considering walking, but we know you're it. So though we don't get it, we're going to stay with you. And yet all of them would abandon Jesus at one point, and all but one of them would come back. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, he's declaring that before you and I, and this is important, can enter God's kingdom, we got to recognize the utter worthlessness of our own spiritual currency. We're spiritually bankrupt apart from him. And we have an inability to work out salvation on our own. Many of you are like, yo, bro, I already got that. Aaron, I get it. Thank you so much. I understand it. Can we move on? Please don't move on from the fact that you need Jesus. Because as you follow Jesus and you get smarter and you understand him more and you're more accustomed to his voice, you and I have a tendency to actually let that knowledge puff us up. And we're like, I don't need him as much as she does. You have some problems in church and you're like, it's their fault. If they just knew what I knew. Listen up, fam. You need Jesus desperately. And he knows it. He's not surprised by it. And he willingly gave himself for you. But not so you could be part of the crowd. He wants to rule you and reign you with his love, with his truth, with his grace, with his holiness. And if we're poor in spirit, we recognize we need him. And not just on a Sunday morning, although it's really good to get together corporately. How often do people do this kind of thing? I'm not just talking like here, but like really slow down. Spend time singing songs. I don't know if I would sing those on my own. Read the Bible. Have some aging man ask you, hey. What do you think it means to be blessed? How often do we slow down and acknowledge Jesus? Kingdom people do, and not just on Sundays. i got to summarize, and so I'm going to get to what I don't quote very often. It's the message. I don't believe that the message is a translation, a word-for-word translation. I believe that it's a paraphrase. I believe that it's been very, very helpful. It's almost like a commentary. The man that wrote this, Eugene Peterson, could literally read the Hebrew Bible in English. So he'd read it in Hebrew and say it in English. Same with Koine Greek. This was a brilliant man. But he put it in contemporary English. It was and remains a paraphrase. But boy, was this Cool when I read it this week. This is Matthew 5 3 in the paraphrase of message. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and His rule. You guys, I'm going to read you a story about a man who started as part of the crowd 
and looks more and more like a disciple as the story goes along. He was a centurion. He was in charge of a hundred Roman soldiers at least that were underneath his authority. He was a pagan, but we find out in Luke 7, although we're going to read it out of the Matthew 8 parallel here, find out in Luke 7 that he was a God-fearer and he helped build a synagogue with his money as a Roman, as a Gentile. So here's the story. I want you to look for something you can take out of it. This will be something for you to consider as you go today. Matthew 8, 5 through 13. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Again, in the Luke 7 parallel, he sends people to go talk to him because he doesn't even consider himself worthy to talk to him. Why did Matthew understand it and believe it this way? Two different guys remembering two different things about the same story, and it's really powerful. And it's really important that we recognize that they're allowed to tell the same story from a different point of view. It's the same Jesus and the same results. So check this out. He sees Jesus says, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, I'll come and heal him. That's all right. Would you let me answer? Okay. No, no, no. <laughs> Sometime though, will you let me answer it one time? <laughs> Done that one time. And I'm like, hi. This, let's say it was Ben. This is Ben's phone. Uh, is Ben there? Yeah, he's at church, and you're called right in the middle of church. You should come join us. That was a click, but it was <laughs> seed planted. No, it wasn't Ben, by the way. I was just using his name. So Jesus sees him. He says, look, I'll come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom, the Jews, the ones that knew what they needed to know, will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done to you. Let it be done for you as you believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Four things stood out to me about this, and I'll ask you to consider these as you go. Humility, desperation, faith in Jesus, and honesty. That's what it means to be blessed, is he's your only hope, and he's living. He's it. He may totally do for you what you ask. There may be a different story, but he's good. He's God. He's what it means to be blessed. So how do you move towards Jesus today in this room? There's people that need to, for the first time, or for the first time, genuinely recognize that Jesus is God. He is the hope. He is the joy. He is the Lord. And that he died for you as you paid your price. And he rose from the dead so you 
recognize, you repent, you turn away from your rule and your reign to his kingdom and to his rule and reign. You confess that he's the Lord. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Many of you have already done that, and you're working through this humility, desperation, faith in Jesus, and honesty, because really you're not there. You're doing pretty good right now. Well, I would ask you then maybe a step for you to move towards Jesus is to assess where you find happiness. Is it in God? Or is it in everything going the way you hoped it would go? Or at least some of the things going. Yeah, God, I'll hug you and squeeze you and call out to you as long as these things get cleaned up. Please. For others of you, you're past that. You're in a good spot. But you find yourself... um, kind of keeping the good news to yourself. So I encourage you to move towards Jesus in this way. Pray and thank him for salvation. Thank him for his goodness. Thank him for coming through for you in the most important of ways, paying your sin debt, but also tons of other ways. And then pray for people to talk to about this good news. Initiate conversations with others about what makes them happy. Ask them, hey, what makes you happy? What fills your cup? What makes you content? And they might even ask you what makes you happy. And you can tell them. All kinds of cool things happen to me, but the best thing is that Jesus loves me, died for me, raised me up. I get to live for him. I don't just woe is me on that all the time. There's sometimes I'm really, really bummed out, but there's other times I'm just like, God, you are awesome. Where else would I go? And you tell people that good news and ask them if they want to know that as well. That sounds like evangelist work. That's right. You're a city set on a hill. Go tell the world. Go tell your world. Moving towards Jesus is to remain poor in spirit, not woe is me. Oh, oh, I just, I'm just in awe that God likes me at all. (sighs) Don't fake it. That's false humility, or that's not knowing that you are crazy loved. But poor in spirit is like, I couldn't earn it. Isn't it great that he still loves me? Isn't it great that he's given me life? Isn't it great that I get to share that life? That's what it means to be blessed, fulfilled, fortunate, content. It'll go well with your soul. You can't earn the kingdom, but it's been given to you, and if you received it, you get to live it out, and it looks like being poor in spirit. And that's weird because we wouldn't do it that way. We're not God. Jesus is. So let's pray. Father, thanks so much for this morning. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for the heat that's just coming here in the beginning of October. It's just crazy. We're grateful, Lord, for all these kind of gifts. And they come from how awesome you are. So may we hunger and thirst for you. In your right way. May we be poor in spirit, recognizing that humility and desperation and faith in you and honesty is a gift from you that we can live with those things in mind, that you're awesome and we desperately need you. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity for us to grow. May we go from here and be strong and courageous, and may we let it be contagious in your perfect name. Amen.